0: You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. It's good to see everybody. And really, if you're our guest, we want to welcome you, whether you're here or online. It's always good to be together. We thank you so much for being with us and, uh, what I hope you experience is just a warm welcome of, uh, of fellowship and also even more just seeing Jesus in this place. And that's really what our heart's desire is, is that we can see Jesus when we come together. And we want to do that again this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your presence in our lives and how real you are and how real you've made yourself In all of our activities and our circumstances, Father, we thank you. And today we give you honor and we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Sharon was five. She was sure of the facts, recited them with slow, slow assurance, convinced that every word was a revelation. And she said this. She said they were so poor they had to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to eat And they went a long way from home without ever getting lost. The lady rode a donkey, and the man, he walked. And the baby was inside of the lady. They had to stay in a stable with an ox and an ass. (laughs) But the three rich men found them because the star lighted the roof. Shepherds came. You could feed the sheep, but you couldn't touch them. The baby was born. And do you know who he was? Her quarter eyes inflated to silver dollars. The baby was God. And she jumped around and twirled in the air, fell on the couch and buried her face in the cushions, which is the only proper response to the good news of the incarnation. It's a child. You see, she was telling us about a child. The child, She had this holy excitement, and not too different from the prophet Isaiah. When you look at what the prophet Isaiah says to us, you're going to hear a childlike wonder in the prophet's voice. He said this, "...for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." And the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this very thing. Now, I want you to remember when these words were written. It was 700 years before the child was born. But the prophet writes as though it's happening at that moment. But it's happening in that space and time. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son has been given. And if you remember why Isaiah is speaking this way, it's because it's the prophetic tense. He's talking about something that in heaven was real and not yet fulfilled on earth. And when something is said in heaven, it is for sure secured in this earth and on this planet. When heaven makes a promise, it's true. When heaven makes a promise, it's real for all of us. It's happening this very moment, the moment the prophet speaks. You see, Isaiah tells us that a Savior is coming, and it couldn't happen soon enough for the children of Israel. Because the children of Israel, they were in trouble. There was enemies on every doorstep. Every place they turned, they found their enemy, and their enemy was brutal. Their enemy took tactics of... The scorched earth, their enemy created new ways of torture. They were the ones that invented crucifixion. You see, the Assyrians didn't care much for the Jews. They didn't care much for the way that they would live. So everywhere Israel turned, there was trouble. Their world was full of uncertainty. Their world was full of fear and chaos. And then Isaiah says to them, to us a child is born. To us. A son is given. Now think about this. If you were deeply in trouble, if if you needed someone to help you, do you believe that a child could do that? I don't think so. If I'm in trouble and I'm really, really in trouble, I'm not looking to a child. You give me a full-grown, experienced, well-educated adult, that's what I'll take. But that's not the way God works. You see, whenever we're in trouble, it just just seems like God has different ways of working in our lives. He gives us a promise, and there's always a promise. And that promise seems to baffle us. We don't always understand it. We can't catch up with it in time. We're not sure really what God's up to, what he's about in all of our lives. The promise of God continually requires something that's so hard to get a hold of when we're going through a difficult time, when the time around us The season around us is is dark. And that element in our lives that he looks for is called faith. He looks for faith. Something that's really, really stretching us. Something that stretches all of us. What the children of Israel thought they needed to face that adversary was a five-star general. That's what they really thought they needed. They needed something more than a child. And what did Isaiah say? He said, this is coming your way, a child. Are you serious? God, you're going to send us a child? You see, found in that one word, child is the promise. Without the child, there is no hope. There is no victory. It's the child. So we all look to the child because there is the promise. And without the child, there is no peace. There is no justice. Without the child, there's no righteousness. It's in the child that all God's promises culminate. It's where God's promises are fulfilled. I want you to look at these verses. Just look at them one more time. The promise wasn't deliverance here. It wasn't freedom. That's what you hope to find. You want to find words that will tell you that you're going to be set free, that you're going to be blessed, that you're going to be delivered. The promise was none of these things. The promise was the baby. Do you know why God gives us promises? Because sinner to all of his promises, fundamental to everything that he speaks to us is you it's you and it's me. See, God gives us promises and He has reasons to do those things for us. God promises are about keeping you and keeping me from worry, from fear, from anxiety that's that's his purpose. When you look at the word, you see it it's true that's why almost All of God's promises begin or end with one phrase, do not be afraid, don't be afraid. And every now and again, God will even fold one right in the middle and he'll say to you, don't be afraid. I'm giving you a promise. Lean into the promise. Hold on to the promise, trust in the promise. And then he tells us why we don't need to be afraid. He says this, and if you fast forward 700 years with me from what the prophet said the angel stood in front of lowly shepherds. And it was that day that promise was fulfilled on this planet. And what did he say again? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The promise is here. The child has come. We find the answer to our fears back then and now. And it's the child. It's all about the child. We sure live in a world that's full of uncertainties. Our kids live in a world full Of uncertainties and I look around and I know moms and dads and grandparents we don't have to know all the answers we don't have to have all the solutions to the problems of the world or the problems our kids are going through what we need to know what we need to trust in is God's way because God's way is always through a child God's way will always lead us to the answer and the answer is found in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, we understand that God promises keep us from worry and fear, but there's something else that God promises do for you and me. They give us confidence that God is able. You see, whenever God gives a promise, it's sure, it's going to happen. They give us confidence because we know God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Look at verse seven. Verse seven says this, and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You know, if I could have only three words that I would hold on to found in Scripture, it would be these three words. He is able. Say that with me. He is able. That's all I need. That's all you need when God says something, when he promises you something. You just need to be confident in the fact that he is able. These words are in the present tense, by the way. And what that means is he's able right now. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but this very moment. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever it is you're facing, you can be sure that he is able. And when you leave this place, there might be circumstances that you look at and you're seeing with your natural eyes something that seems unwinnable. Something that seems that you can't conquer or overcome. And if you would recite just those three words, he is able. Maybe, maybe you'll whisper them at night, maybe, maybe in the evening, maybe in the morning. Every time you look at what you can't see as a solution, you would say, he's able. He's able. This means that God is not incapacitated by time. He hasn't lost touch. His strength hasn't dimin- diminished. These are all human characteristics. You know that. These are all things that we're prone to. We're the ones that get incapacitated, lose touch, and diminish in strength. This is what we do. This is not what God does. Once we were able, and now we're not. When I was young, I was able. I look around, now I'm not. When I first got here, I was in my mid-30s, and my days of playing at high-level sport or an athlete were pretty much ending. I didn't think so, but my wife did. <laughs> so I went and joined the church softball team right here, New Life four Foursquare softball team. Thought I was going to be a hit. I got hit, but I never was a hit. <laughs> went out on the baseball field that first time, broken up pretty much, hit the ball, ran to first, tweaked my knee, kept running, limping to second base, pulled a muscle in my leg. <laughs> Kept running to third base. When I got to third base, I just took a deep breath. It was like an oasis, and I stood there, looked to see who was at bat, and I thought, oh, God, don't let him get a base hit. Just let it in right now. I was determined, though. The inning ended. I went into the dugout, got my glove, came out back to my position. I'm standing there. I'm not even looking up. I'm just standing there like this in a lot of pain. I look up just to see her sitting in the stands. For the first time ever, she looked at me, and she said, get up. And I shook my head, no. And she said, get off the field. That never happened before because once I was able and now I'm not. You see, that's the way of all of us humans. We were able and now we're not. That's not to be said about God. God has been and always will be able. He may be, we may be disabled, but he is able. We may be incapable, but he's capable Isaiah says it all. Don't be afraid because you have been given the promised child. Don't be afraid because the promised child has and will show you the full ability of God to save you. The full ability of God to take you where he's promised to take you. Notice something else here. Notice the shift from the prophetic tense. Notice what happens now in this passage of scripture. It moves to the Future tense because Isaiah uses the word or the phrase will be and he says that three times Three times he uses this phrase So the question is what will the child be? That's what he's speaking to here in Isaiah chapter 9 the dreams that we have for our kids They're full and plenty especially when they're younger but we recognize that they're not always fulfilled They don't always come true That's not to be said about God because when God dreams about you and when God dreams about his kids, it always happens. It always comes true. And God had a dream for this child, his one and only begotten baby. He had a a dream for him. Isaiah goes on and he tells us this is his dream. This is God dreaming that will happen, will come true, will be fulfilled. God dreams that this son is going to be a remarkable king. He says that. What makes Jesus a remarkable king? Because he is God in the flesh, fully God and fully man. That makes him a remarkable king. Think about his humanity. Think about him in the flesh, born as a child, lived and died as a human. Jesus lived and he felt the conditions that you and I feel. Don't ever forget that. Always hold that close. Jesus feels and felt what you feel and felt. The Bible says that he was weary, that he was hungry, that he cried, and ultimately he died. Probably most of all, he felt brokenness. There was a brokenness in his heart over the relationships that were broken. You remember? that time that he sat on the Mount of Olives and he looked into Jerusalem and he saw his people and he began to weep because they were sheep without a shepherd. They had lost their way. They had broken their covenant with God. And then you take that closer to him, bring that into the circle of the disciples, that, that brokenness, knowing that there would be some that would betray him and one particularly would betray him just to gain a few coins, but most of all what would happen brought great drops of blood. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Would you remember that God knows brokenness, that Jesus knows your brokenness? Why? Because he was broken. What a remarkable king. Someone who identifies easy and clearly with all of us. So we see his humanity, but we also know his deity. He never became God. He always was God. Deity came to us in humanity. You know, I often think about what it was like for Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth. And the closest I can get is, have you ever flown first class? I mean, once you fly first class you really don't want to go back to coach. You don't want to go back where you're scrunched in and elbows are bumping you and people are knocking you around and they're taking your peanuts. You don't want to go there. You always want to fly first class. We rarely do, but it's nice when it happens. I'm sorry, that's the closest I could get. But here, Jesus is in heaven. And what does it say in Philippians chapter 2? It says, even though he had all this given to him, royalty, a king. It says that he didn't see to his advantage to hold on to it, but he let go of that advantage. And he came and gave you the advantage. Ah, That's a remarkable king. Somebody who looks upon our state, somebody who looks upon us broken, sinful. And he says, I'll leave this place, this heavenly realm and <clears> I'll <throat> come to be with you. <clears throat> what a king. What a God. He did not use his position as God's son to his advantage. That's, that's an amazing king. So we see his humanity. We see his deity. But we also see his sovereignty. It says that he's so sovereign. <clears throat> Jesus is the only one who is fit to rule. He's the only one that can do that for us. He's the only one that we could put our trust in. He is the God who created the earth. He came to live on the earth and will come back to rule the earth that he created. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. A remarkable king. But there's something else the prophet Isaiah tells us about. He wants to go on a little further about God's dream for this child. And he says, this is not only a, a, a king that I'm giving you, but his royal character is never to be compared. And what does it say here? His royal character is really listed here because God doesn't want you to miss this. <clears throat> he wants you to know this. He wants you to know everything about this baby, this child. He says, first of all, he is a wonderful counselor. Many people can counsel, but no one is a wonderful counsel. Many people have the desire and the skills to counsel, but 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 not like this. His wisdom and understanding attract people to him. And you could see it while he was on this planet. You could see it while he Mixed among us, the people wanted to be with him, and even some tried to sneak in a little touch here and there because he was so attractive. What made him attractive? He was a wonderful counselor. He invited you into his space. He invited you to the places he was going. He never left you out. You always belonged. That's what a wonderful counselor does. They came to Jesus because they knew Jesus knew them. We come to Jesus because we know Jesus knows the details of our life, Details about our lives that no one else knows. He knows. That's why we come to him because he's safe. A wonderful counselor, a mighty God. He knows you because he is the God who created you. Jesus has the power to change you and has the power to influence change in you. That is the nature of his Holy Spirit. That's why he comes. That's why he works in us and among us. He has the power to change us and bring change about in our lives. He's an everlasting father. Jesus would be the father to his people Israel, but he would be the father to all of us as well. There's so many places in the New Testament where I see this fatherly image, and I recognize that when that's practiced and we see that, That that part of Jesus Christ, this title communicates an eternal care, a protection, a, a provision that only a father brings and what a father is supposed to do. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. You're never without care. You're never without protection. You are never without provision. Why? Because he is the everlasting father. He's the one who cares for us. And I love this. He's the prince of peace. Jesus will come again, and I'll say that because Advent says it over and over again. He came, but he's coming again, and when he does, he will establish a kingdom of true peace. The Bible says that people will call out and say, give us peace, peace, and there will be no peace Why? Because we're running against each other. We're trying to carry out the cravings of sin and our own selfishness. So, what happens? We collide and we break each other, and there is no peace. But when He comes, when the child comes, there will be. There'll be peace for the believers right now, this very moment. Our peace isn't in the world around us, our peace isn't even in our circumstances. Our peace is found where he resides, and that's right here in our hearts. He resides in here, and that's where we find the peace. And that's what the apostles told us. They they mentioned that time and time again. Paul said it this way in Philippians 4 7. He said, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And even the prophet David, King David. He said this, In peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord. Make me dwell in safety. You see, that's the peace that we can have. All those, the Bible says, who calls on the name of the Lord will have peace in their heart because the Prince of Peace reigns. And then Isaiah goes on a little further. One more thing that he speaks to. He says this about the child. He says, His kingdom will be a righteous kingdom. It's not like the world we live in and we go and we plead our case and maybe there are times justice prevails, but maybe there are times that justice doesn't prevail. Sometimes we never know. Sometimes we're not certain. We hear the word all the time, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. I know it's not fair. And I have a reason for it not being fair. You live here on this planet. It's not fair. And it never will be. It'll only be fair when the fairest of 10,000 is over us as our king. You see, you see that here. It's an eternal kingdom. You need to remember that. It's a kingdom that has no beginning, no end. So you don't have to worry about expiration. You don't have to worry every four years of who's going to vote and who's going to be voted in and who's going to be voted out. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And can I hear a praise the Lord on that one? I mean, that's a good one. I mean, I'm tapping in on this one right now. It causes me great stress. It's an eternal kingdom. It's a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. Remember when you were a little kid and you would lay out at night under the stars? You'd look up. Remember hearing my dad say, you'll never count them. You can never count them all. There are millions and billions of those that God created. Now, that's only a small part of eternity. I can't comprehend it. You can't comprehend it. Why? Because we're locked in by time. That's the only thing we understand. We don't know anything else. And so here we trust God and say it will be with you. We spend eternity in your kingdom, your righteous kingdom. It's not only an eternal kingdom, but to make things very, very clear, we stand on a foundation that is also a historical kingdom. Do you hear what Isaiah said? It was passed down from King David, and he is this child from the tribe, the tribe of Judah. He's from the lineage of David. It was something well understood, something that people knew because they followed their lineage. They, they followed who their fathers and their fathers' fathers were, unlike we do today. I mean, we want to know, but, but they kept track historically of where they were in their lineage. And it says here, without a doubt, that Jesus came from the lineage of David. A historical kingship an eternal kingdom that has its roots in history. It's also this, it's an equitable kingdom. I love that. Remember we said it's not fair, it's not fair, and we think that way, but this is a kingdom that will treat us with justice. It will be ordered and established with justice, a perfect government. Why? Because it has a perfect leader. And so when we think about the child, we think this way we think that we know that will always be dealt with with truth justice and mercy that day when we come, when it comes and it will come that we stand before our father in heaven and there's a time of judgment he knows all he sees all and he will judge you perfectly and fairly and equitably there will be no more sayings that's not fair Because he is perfect. And he judges perfectly. So if you're looking for equability today. If you're looking for something that brings equality to your life. It's always found in Jesus Christ. He treats all of us as his children. His sons. His daughters. You're all loved. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we want to thank you today for all that you have provided for us. And Lord, if there are any listening to this message that are longing, have a desire to be connected to you and your kingdom, to be your child, your son or your daughter, communicate to them that they're loved. Communicate to them in a way that no one else can. It's only the way you do. You communicate that your presence is real, that your salvation is sure, that all that are seeking you need to do is call in the name of Jesus and it says we will be saved. So, Lord, we ask that your salvation continue to work in all of our lives, those that are followers and those that are wanting to follow you. Let those that are wanting to follow you come to the place of decision, of choice, choosing you as their Lord and Savior. We're so grateful today. We're grateful today because we follow and believe the promise is the child. That's why we celebrate. That's why we do what we do this Christmas season is because we believe the child. So, Lord, let us pass this message on. Let us be the light that shines in a dark place all to your honor, all to your glory, to your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canby4square.com.